Welcome to Brand Story Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining us today on Brand Story Inc. is Guthrie Collin. Guthrie is the Chief Analytics Officer and Senior Vice President for Advertising Product and Technology at Dow Jones, which, as you know, is the publisher of the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and Market Watch. Uh, Guthrie spent 20 years on the tech and data science side of media in roles at the Associated Press. Nielsen had a lengthy stint at Amazon Advertising, where he co-created three patented data science innovations helping to drive e-commerce media engagement. Guthrie, Colin, welcome to Brand Story, Inc., Thank you, Jay. Really appreciate you having me here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, I am too, and and I'm hoping to uh, learn quite a bit and also pay a little bit of interpreter because anyone who's had three co-patents of data science innovations at a place like uh, Amazon is is somebody who, both in the math and technology sector, is beyond my realm. So I'm I'm happy to try to play interpreter and uh, value driver for the editorial folks on the phone here today. Uh, you're too, too kind. I, I was just very fortunate, right place, right time, uh, right team. Well, as you know, we recently hosted Paul Sigrake's uh, general manager of the Trust, which is Wall Street Journal Barron's uh, content studio here on Brand Story, Inc. And, and on that episode, we scratched the surface of Wall Street Journal custom content studio's approach to data-driven solutions for content. So I want to start there, maybe in the big picture, and then we'll kind of go down the rabbit hole together. Paint a picture of your role and how Dow Jones is leveraging technology to create better engagement. Well, well first, I just want to say it's really fortunate that I uh, am at Dow Jones. Uh, we have a really loyal and uh, great clients to work with. We have great products that across the board make a big difference in the world from everything from like Wall Street Journal to our ad solutions to PIB solutions. And we have really bright and passionate people working there like, like Paul. Um, and my, my role there is uh, threefold. So first is the, is the, is the data side, right? So mm-hmm. I'm focused on big data tech, measuring customers, how they engage with our products, and, and then working to democratize this across the org. And that's everything from engineering to, to data science and products. I also improve the entire org's data skills. So we've launched an academy and a set of communities to help everyone get better with data. And finally, uh, I am responsible for activating that same data as sellable ad tech, ad tech to brand advertisers mm-hmm. and uh, sales driving uh, mark, mark, marketing technology solutions for subscription and, and enterprise businesses. Well, tell, tell me about... Um, when, when, to kind of jump in there on the academy? It's, sure. It's really intriguing. Um, so I didn't know about that. Can you share a little bit more about what the academy entails? Sure. So uh, about 15 months ago, when I first took on the new role of chief analytics officer, we found with my team that there was a, a, a des- real desire for two things. Data experts wanted to give back to the org. Mm-hmm. They wanted to have an opportunity to share what they know because they saw the big opportunity with data. And data experts, not just my team, across, across the entire business, in the newsroom, in our PID product, in product and technology. Um, and we had a real desire from folks. Like folks really said they want to understand more about our data. They want to understand more how to use data. They, 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 I, I can 
you know, having a longer career, I saw this when we moved from mainframes to desktop technology mm-hmm. in the newsroom 22 years ago. It's the same, same desire. People knew they needed to know something. So we founded the academy. It's all volunteer-based. Um, people build the curriculum. Um, they're, they're professors in our – they're faculty in our academy. Um, we've had a, a really strong uh, adoption um, around the addressable audience, probably about uh, a third to a half have taken at least one class. Everyone who does take a class feels uh, more confident. About 80 to 90 percent people feel more confident about data after taking a class. And confidence is is the critical thing here. Like we're not doing yeah. standardized testing. <laughs> it's about do I feel confident to try to try new things with data and and ask questions. And, and that confidence is really the key. Very cool. That sounds awesome. Sounds like a great program. I, so I I'd like to break this down by segments, right? I mean, Dow Jones is a large company. We just we listed off some of the behemoth um, and media entities that are under that umbrella. As it relates to your role as chief analytics officer, I, I figured breaking this down into segments would help. And first, kind of maybe tools of the trade. Describe some of the tools that either you're using or you've created at Dow Jones to kind of help with content and, and engagement of content. Sure. You, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to focus uh, that's such a big question. I'm actually going to focus uh, on the kind of the advertising side, which is also our content studio side. So I think that's the, the most relevant yep. in too. terms of like what we've done. And I said there are two types of tools. There's there's tools for uh, branded content creators, whether that content is an ad display ad or or more extensive editorial piece. And then tools for our, our account teams internally um, to help work with those uh, branded content builders. And so mm-hmm. for the branded content folks, it's really about how we maximize their content relevancy and, and when you're doing display ads, safety. And that includes things like Thematic, which is our first-party contextual uh, targeting tool, allows brands to target their display ads using a patented topical taxonomy we have at Dow Jones. And Safe Suite's another uh, first-party uh, tool around brand safety, allows them to optimize their block list. We also have developed personalized uh, technologies that allow, when we're doing branded content, allow us to surface branded content media opportunities to audiences based on what they've read in the past, either with that brand or other brands. So we make sure it's hmm. hyper-relevant content for the for the audiences, and that's that's part of the toolkit that Paul's team brings, brings to bear on the, on the side for advertising account teams, we saw early um, this opportunity to, to make them more performance minded. So get them in the mind of a branded co- content creator. And we wanted to make their, their workday focused on developing insights and understanding and, and not just, just kind of monkeying around the data to build a report. So we built a, a platform called dash that integrates all of our first party data and any third party data uh, around branded content, both display ads and, and branded content, uh, longer editorial pieces that helps measure the media performance. Hmm. And we've also launched a tool called Insight uh, just last week that allows the our first party audience data to shine. And um, it, it goes back to Paul's example around how we know a CEO or C-suite is reading a lot around energy. That comes from Insight. And uh, we've launched it last week. We're going to talk more about an advertising week on October 5th. And it, it really allows us to, to create better content together by looking at what audiences are really reading and, and look for the white space, too. Like where, where, right. where people either 
aren't reading are reading and you're not publishing or people are um, uh, uh, aren't reading but you are publishing yeah and those two areas come, come clear that's a it's a fascinating area and Paul and I do and thanks for referencing that and, and I'll make sure we link to that uh, that podcast here I'm, I'm curious about how whether it's through dash or or insight or the combination of the two how do you assess what quality engagement is for content because I feel like that is I mean Quite candid, quite literally, you're coming up with quantitative approach to this this amorphous quality, right? Um, around engagement, how do you look at that? So it's, it's interesting. I build tools from a well, my team builds tools. I'm kind of just a figurehead at this point, but my, <laughs> my my team builds tools from the perspective of how can we give the folks that are working with branded content creators and branded content creators themselves, the most, the most useful set of tools they can build whatever, whatever house they need to. And so the perspective that we take, and this this has come from both me and many members of my team were once on the inside side. So I was tasked with doing this work um, a a, a while ago. So it's like, I I know what that looks like in the past. So I know what type of tools are, are necessary, but to answer that question more specifically, I, we advise folks to start from the basics. Really, what is the problem your audience has mm-hmm. that your content is trying to solve for? Know who that audience member is, and then how do they want to engage? And, and that's, a, that's kind of a slightly different approach, right? Because, because the way the customer wants to engage with your content isn't always the way you want them to mm-hmm. or the ways you can measure. Um, and it isn't the same for every segment of the, every audience segment. And that, that's hard. So, so it's it, it, the, the best way to measure engagement, I found, is get this trifecta of knowing the audience problem, knowing where your content solution is, and comparing that measurement capabilities. And, and you find, you find what, how you measure engagement best by starting with that audience-first perspective because otherwise you're, limiting, you're both limiting yourself and you're not sure what you're really measuring. Right. Measuring what's possible isn't the same as measuring what matters. Mm-hmm. And to, to kind of illustrate that more, I'll give you an example. So say say you're uh, uh, publishing content that's focused on workforce management problems in the era of COVID. Right. Mm-hmm. And so who you're targeting it are um, managers who are stressed out because they're a working parent uh, like myself or because they're just getting used to remote work or whatever other life stressors they, they may have. And you probably typically would measure such content as like scroll depth or time spent or number of articles consumed in, in a session. And I'd argue, and this is just a, a made up a paper, paper example here right, as a thought experiment. Right. I'd argue that for a time poor manager, your biggest thing is return visits. Because if they're coming to you, they're coming to you, they, they want to mm-hmm. see something fast. And if you've given them what they need, they'll come back again. They'll remember you. Mm-hmm. But if you may, if you're, again, that starts with a sense of what my audience needs, not so much what I want, what I want to measure them on or what my content goal is. Well, it's interesting. Slight, slight, slight tweak. Well, it's, it's interesting. I think, you know, I'm always curious in the big picture, right? You've been there for a while. You've developed products internally, but you also worked at a place like Nielsen, like back in the day, right? Back in the eighties, you know, Nielsen was the television metric, right? Nielsen ratings, right? It was the unified, agreed upon, okay, it, 
you could you could maybe argue the methodology behind it, which people would try to do. But at the end of the day, like the entire advertising ecosystem was based on the Nielsen rating when there were, you know, back in the day, like early days of cable and, and television. And, and, you know, even today it's still there. But now there's other players. I feel like this measurement of content, right, has, has become such um, a little bit of the Wild West in the digital world that we're in, I'm curious where you think we are in the big picture, like where we've come from, where we are now, and where you see it going. Where are we in the big picture from your perspective? I'm so glad I brought up Nielsen because I, I have... Um, I, I, so I think where we are is... I think we're actually in a, in a good place because we started out in a place where we we were obsessed with... And this is in the digital age, right? right. And I don't want to go into the, the right. Nielsen legends right. of how he came right. up with this thing, but which are great, is we started by obsessing over the solutions we could build. And that gave us clicks and web analytics, and which is, which is a great place to start in the nascent space. Um, but because we started there, we, we stopped thinking about the problems we're trying to solve. It was just like, what can we build? And we got, we got comfortable after building like kind of clicks and, and web analytics and then time spent, all these things on cookies. And we started adding digital exposure panels and in-banner surveys. But those, those weren't new ideas. Those just replaced ideas that came from analog uh, mm-hmm. approaches for like media diaries, like people used to write down their diaries yeah. or interviewed as part of a panel. Um, and that, that was for both TV and print. And so I think... And I think, we, you know, along the way, we've also gotten viewability and completion rate and safety measures. But these metrics are really around economic problems, like basically comparing different types of media mm-hmm. across different platforms and negotiating better rates, right? So viewability yeah. is like, oh, well, I know they know see on TV. Let me make the same for display. That's not so that's still not measuring engagement, at least at least in my opinion. So what I, what I see is, is that we're actually we're getting obsessed with the problems like what do we truly want to measure about um, audience engagement? You know, uh, and where, where, where it's going is this mix of sci, of, of, a mix of sci-fi becoming sci-fat. There's this, there's these neuro, neuroscience approaches where they're putting those crazy e, e, uh, EKG, not EKG, yep. uh, ERG caps on and measuring panels, people who are sign up to be measured when they watch a, an ad mm-hmm. or read a piece of content to see how their brain responds, responds, there's other outfits that are take, using facial tracking to measure emotions through ticks in your eyes and, and, and your face. Hmm. Um, so that's, a, that's pr- pretty, you know, pretty far edge. But when it comes back to being obsessed with the problem, I'm seeing editorial teams and, and publishers, creators of all sorts actually focus on the data and experimental me- methodologies to try to get in the heads of the audiences. So I, I think where, where we are right now in the spectrum is we've gone from obsessing solutions in digital to realizing we really need to obsess with a customer, which, which, is, which is awesome. And while these new solutions come online, we can actually compare them to, oh, that emotion response is really cool. I don't know if I need that yet, but it's good to know because maybe I'm going to need that for another piece later on and then I'll engage with you instead of just kind of you know, fawning over the fact you can do it, adding it and not having a framework of why you're even measuring that way. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Paul and I talked about this and you might recall on that podcast, which I think you listened to, which which was this notion of one of the things I think about the next gen of branded content is really leveraging the insights, which you touched on. And by that, you know, I, I often talk about this. It gets This gets a little meta because I end up grappling for examples and they're usually not good ones. But this notion <laughs> that... Um, 
I don't know, let's see, the C-suite or upper management at, uh, let's say, uh, in the finance sector, right? So execs at whatever, JP Morgan, and you go down, you go down the list of all the, the usual suspects, that you find some insight, right, that has really nothing to do with finance, right? I'll make it up. It could be fishing, right? And so this notion of like, wow, this is really interesting. There's this subject matter that, well, in finance, it's probably poker, right? Because every every financial exec I know seems to be, but the, you, you, you get what I'm saying. Like there's this connected yeah. insight where um, it's not it's not head on on what someone's doing. It's just this, you know, and I mentioned to Paul, I said it was interesting, you know, when we looked at some of the social media platforms for La Vida Baseball, which is a, a company that we own, which is a Latino lifestyle baseball company, um, it was interesting because it was like Bose Radio. There was this unique connection between um, the amount of people who consumed our content and, and consumed Bose, and we started digging in. And there's just this like these interesting, to your point, and I think that's what you're getting at, where's the blue ocean? And, and I'm curious... Um, of your opinion on that in terms of where you think it's going or not going in that regard of this, of really digging into the insight that's not specific to the nature of the subject matter of who you're trying to attract? I think it's, um, there's, there's this, this constant tension between, um, curiosities, KPIs, Mm -hmm. curiosities, and something in between. And, um, where curiosities can be super insightful. Um, they're only really insightful if they can be acted upon. And uh, there's this, there's this kind of concept that, uh, that we try to bring called good to know metrics, which is, which are not KPI. So KPI is how you're going to measure success, but good to knows are things that you think could happen mm-hmm. and you know how to act on them if they do. Um, and, and, the, and whereas curiosities are just like fun to know, um, maybe they can be acted upon later on, um, but for right now, there's nothing to act, act upon. And, you know, an example, example of this is um, the story of Rogaine, which Rogaine started out as, a, I believe, it was a blood pressure medicine. And they found, in terms of like, you know, when you're measuring pharmaceutical studies mm-hmm. for FDA approval, they found this um, a statistically significant increase in hair growth in the people who were given Rogaine, Rogaine hmm. uh, as a blood pressure medicine. And so Rogaine it started out as a blood pressure medicine that became a hair growth treatment. Wow. Um, and that, that's a perfect example of like a good, to know, an actionable mm-hmm. good to know. Um, and in, 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 in the realm of, you know, when you talk about branded content, it is, if you see that, you know, a fair number of member, uh, a fair number of members of the C-suite in a particular sector are uh, are gravitating to a certain hobby or interest. Well, one that's good to know. It's cu- it's curious, but can you make that actionable? Can yep. you create a, a conference or an opportunity or or mm-hmm. you know uh, a lifestyle piece that that actually draws them in because of because you take that that right. interest and make an analogy or making a story. So, I, I think. The, where, where we're going is with data science tools, though, is they can, with anomaly detection, you could set up a data science program to say, here's what we expect, and then anything that doesn't fit in those boundaries, you know, flag is an anomaly. Mm-hmm. And something like phishing and financial services could be flagged as an anomaly. But you need to be thinking about that ahead of time. Or you go and mine the data and look for it. So you can you can have it both ways, but it is going to take some effort. And good news is there's more and more people who 
are comfortable with data uh, so they can do the exploration or think about those techniques ahead of time. Well, it's fascinating. I think the final the final tool of the trade conversation here is there are not, um, you're in a strata of companies that um, has the luxury and opportunity to actually create tools and put the resources to actually, as opposed to just um, barring ones that are off the shelf. So I'm curious how do you how you decide as the chief analytics officer when to use existing tools of the trade as it relates to measurement as opposed to designing or creating and implementing your own? The that the classic buy versus build mm-hmm. um, uh, question. I refer to it as uh, lease versus learn, and and the reason is because you know you don't you don't buy uh, you don't buy software like you you buy a car. It's actually more like a leasing arrangement mm-hmm. because you're not just. You're leasing the software for a purpose right now, but you're also leasing the innovation and focus that your vendor is giving you. Um, but that buying mindset makes it seem like you're done with the purchase. You're, you're kind of not done with the purchase of software because the space evolving. And then, then on the learn side, it's really you have to learn about that problem. You have to learn how to know know how to build against it and maybe learn new things on the way. Um, and I think when we, when we look at this, we, we look at uh, risks and benefits. And there's economic risks right? Like cost to build versus cost to learn versus cost to lease. Um, We look at the the strategic risk a lot. Like, are are we missing an opportunity to learn something that will prepare us for structural changes in the ecosystem? And if we, if, if we lease, we would miss that opportunity to to do that learning. But then there's a short-term risk uh, from, from doing a learning to build because there may be a speed to market opportunity um, and then there's, there's benefits, right? The, the benefits are strategic as well. The economic benefits, usually the, the, the business case doesn't change much between a lease versus learn except for speed to market. Mm-hmm. But there is some benefit when you're learning um, uh, to build a, a knowledge or type of capacity gap that you may have in your org for the long term. And, uh, you know, an example there is all of us who use, like ourselves included, use cookie-based web analytics. You know, is that is that going to be a strategic risk because we didn't learn how to do it ourselves? Why mm-hmm. wait for our vendors to kind of figure it out? Um, but leasing can bring its own strategic benefit too because it allows your team to focus. Right. And you know, I got a great example here if we have time for. Yeah, go for it. Is the thematic that contextual targeting product? It's a blend of lease and learn. So we we leased the the capability that's more generic that there's no special innovative sauce there, and that's that's the ability to. When, when, a, when a value on a, on a web page matches uh, a code in our ad server, we serve, uh, we serve an ad right then. Mm-hmm. And that's a contextual targeting piece. But that engine, that engine's inert. It doesn't go anywhere without gas. And so what we learn to do is take the gas that is our patented topical taxonomy for content and refine it in a way that it could power that, that, that capability to make it a real product. So we had the lease part, which is lease something that we, we couldn't build ourselves fast, and it's really like a generic capability. And then we spent all of our focus on learning how to take that uh, Factiva taxonomy and make it a, a product for advertising, uh, and which we did. And then because of that, we learned how to use it to do brand safety as well, which is how we came out with SafeSuite. So it's never like a it's never like a clear black and white. Um, and I think the most impactful thing is, is seeing where you can do both. Well, you kind of went there and segued into advertising for me, and, and I think it was a great um, transition point there. I'm curious, 
what are you hearing from brands or you know your your sales teams and your and Pauls of the world? What are brands finding to be most effective um, in terms of satisfying their wants and needs from the from the products and approach that Dow Jones is taking? The 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 boy the the. So this is gonna you're gonna laugh if this all comes back to, to my obsession with problems versus solutions. <laughs> is that is is that what we have found is that it's really about the solutions that solve real advertiser problems, right? And and it's both you know today's challenges and, and unmet needs we we there. And so when I um, when we explain what my team builds or what my team leases and mm-hmm. then and then and then brings to the advertising business. We always frame it, and here's your challenge. Here's how this helps that challenge. And what I've noticed, and this this is starting to dissipate more, but I've noticed a lot of suppliers in this space play up the magic, mm-hmm. right? And they play down the explainability, and so we ignore them um, uh, because I'm I'm looking to work with someone who makes it simple, um, who, because that in, in, indicates to me that they really understand the problem. Because uh, the solution doesn't have to be flash and dash. It, it's flash and dash, and you just solve the problem for for me and my my internal stakeholders um treat me as a as a content creator and a publisher as a real customer instead of just a conduit to the real money mm-hmm. which which comes which comes through um and and, and so that's our that's our general our general approach and in, in, in terms of what we lease we end up we end up leasing the stuff that's generic meaning they don't really set us apart um so that could be that's media serving that sales management order mm-hmm. management those table state capabilities um, where we where we want it where we where we where we really own is around the innovative pieces that as our first party data. Cool. So where we can be separate ourselves is that first party data. And so we do as much as we can building there because we feel like we can learn. And there's these virtuous learning cycles from trying it, trying out new things with it, um, maybe stumbling, maybe succeeding, but then learn for the, the the next the next opportunity that comes around. Go through to this point at ad tech. What what's coming down the pike that you're looking at right now that you're really excited about? So it's it's interesting in in it, for me for being excited. It's it's the the inside product that I told you about. Mm-hmm. It's just launched, but that's we launched only the pre-sale part that tells you about audiences what they've read in the past. We're going to be also launching a post-sale component that tells you about um, our first user first party data. Tells you about those audiences on the campaign as it's running and after it's run. So you get both the pre-sale view and you get in create hypotheses mm. and then you can during the campaign or after the campaign validate those hypotheses and optimize based on our, you know, our first party data that says is a C suite, is a financial advisor, is it a millennial emerging leader. So that's mm-hmm. super exciting. Um, I love the word we're, during we're there. I love the word during yeah, right? Like that it's, concept it's, it's of critical. being able to do it during as opposed to we set this up, invest a lot of money, and then you get a post and you're like, it didn't do as well or it did well. And, you, you know, to be able to pivot in a program is, is, I think, a key future state that a lot of people are looking for. I, I, I don't know how you how, – how we move forward as an uh, entire industry of creators without that feedback loop. And it may just because I'm such a tech person, like this is how I've been living for you know, 20 years in tech is instant feedback loops. I think this is going to be a game changer, frankly. I agree, agree with you. Cool. 
So you shared some of the inside baseball about at Dow Jones and kind of what and how of analytics um, that you used to build a business there. Trying to pivot to the audience right now a little more directly, right, uh, for our Brand Story Inc. community. If you're a brand new general manager of a brand content studio, let's say, how would you advise to level set an expectation of metrics and defining quality content? Uh, yeah, this is really funny. Um, so I would... I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a process guy, but when it comes to this space, I would definitely focus on the mean. And it would be really implementing a scientific process or scientific-like process that gave the team a playbook for being curious about the audiences and, and, and giving them a, a set of, a set of you know, rules or steps to follow to, mm-hmm. to inquire about those audiences and then train them on it and reward those who are using it publicly. Um, and, and the goal being that since there's no silver bullet and there's not even a single gun in this space in mm-hmm. terms of how you, how you measure engagement and what, 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 what quality means is that you've really got to empower the teams to think for themselves but give them some guardrails so that they're doing it with statistical significance. So there's, so there's a scientific merit behind it. Mm-hmm. And um, what I've found Having having inherited, because uh, I'm kind of an empowered, empowered, empowered and accountable decision making leader. That I give my teams empowerment to make decisions, but they're also accountable to them. Uh, so many folks come from command and control environments in uh, content creator space. That you've got to give them a playbook so they feel comfortable having that kind of command and control guidance. But that, and then set them out on their own. You can't just set them out on their own without without that guidance. I love that. I love uh, that framing. It, Maybe it's because I'm doing performance reviews right now, but I, I, <laughs> I really like the way you just phrased that. And it's just, I mean, and people want that. They want that. I think good colleagues want to have, aren't afraid to take chances as long as they know what the scorecard is and what the scoreboard is in the game that they're playing, right? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, you know, I, I, we're getting arguments with some prior people, like, oh, people should be able to figure it out. It's like, that, that's kind of unfair because, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're a product of your experience. I've been lucky to be in data science, be in tech, where all these kind of principles and processes have been, I've been exposed to. Now everyone's had that exposure. Mm-hmm. How, how do they know if they don't have a framing to, to help them kind of expand, explore this whole new world and expand their mind? It's really right brain, left brain, right? Like I'm, I come from the creative, I, I'm kind of right in the middle, right brain, left brain, but uh, you know, running a content agency, it's one of these things where th- there's this, I don't know. I'm sure there's a name for it and there's been studies on it, but there's this psychological inertia that happens as a content creator where you put so much time and effort and energy into a piece of content that by the time you get done with it, there's this like equal side, like I love it and it's the best thing ever. And oh my God, I'm terrified. Maybe it sucks, right? Like, but there's this notion of completion of the content that I think biases the content creator. So to me, I think one of the real challenges is bringing in that, you know, how to keep people you know, uh, qualitative folks open and curious around the quantitative and, and not take it personally. It's such a, we, we struggle with that in our own shop, right? There's just, it's, it's an interesting balance. Um, and it sounds like you've got it, uh, you know, you've got it in, in bunches at, at your shop. So it's very cool. It, it is, you know, uh, just as an aside, every creator, whether they're creating software, creating insights, creating content, every creator has that same, uh, challenge and, and the, the, the scientific methodology that really come, come from like agile process of feedback loops, that's been instrumental to, to change hearts and minds in the tech, tech realm. 
So I, I think it, it can bring benefits to, to all who kind of adopt it. All right, last last uh, Dow Jones question here. Uh, how do you see branded content evolving in terms of value, knowing that knowing that some content is meant to, to be brand awareness at the top of the funnel while others kind of pull someone through to a transaction? Where are we in the big picture here, and where do you see it going? Uh, so I'm, I'm going to answer this not as Dow Jones, but as a reader of branded content. And so I, my, my, uh, this is my opinion. Good. Uh, and so it may not be popular, uh, but I think, and, and you know, full, full disclosure, when I started out in this industry, I started out wanting to be a writer. I actually started out as an editorial assistant, and I was writing stories for the AP. So hmm. this is someone who comes from yep. uh, that background. Is I think we are actually in the kind of in a baby stage, like a toddler stage, like the terrible twos, <laughs> um, because I feel like it's it's all about us, 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 like. What, do, what is our content supposed to do? What, it, what is it intended to do? And, mm-hmm. and then we compare ourselves to that. And we're, it, it's challenging because, you know, you know we, we're trying to drive awareness and, and that drives sales. And that's great. But then we try to drive sales with a piece of content. That doesn't do it. drives awareness. And that's, that's not great. And that, that, yeah. that, that, that approach is kind of, kind of this kind of very vicious cycle, actually. And but what I do see hope because I do see a lot of, great branded content out there that's all about audience utility and, and nothing else. And, and as, as one of those readers, it, I can tell you if, you, if you make it useful and you solve a problem for me, you're going you're gonna to catch me as a fish. Yep. And it may not be today if it's a sales content, but, but definitely tomorrow. And, you know, just an aside, I've actually found that the trusted content, the leader here, probably because they're a news background, mm-hmm. um, and that, that kind of utility around news. And I've actually used unknowingly at the time I used content that our studio produced as references in, in a graduate level course I taught because it explained the technical concept so simply and had a great use case that it wasn't till after our like double Reddit for the class. It was like, Oh my gosh, it's a piece of branded content. Um, yep. So, which, which is fine because right now brands have this unbelievable position in today's era. Like if you have, if you have a, you have a great, relationship with your customers and they trust you as a source of some product or service and by by proxy a source of information in that category you you take advantage of that right yep. like no i, you, I totally you, i'm with you i mean i think and this is such a hard I, I this is probably the number one debate that i have with brands right and it's this and you'd be the person i'd want <laughs> in the foxhole with me to kind of prove it because it's it's very hypothetical and i don't have the I have anecdotal data, but not enough data that a data scientist would say, yes, beyond a reasonable doubt, Jay, you're right. And and I like to be right. Like, who doesn't, right? And so it's <laughs> this, this notion that the value you get of being the convener of content that solves someone's problem is enormous, right? And I feel like brand marketers always go a little too far in overtness, right? Like really, you don't need to have that person drink the drink and like look at the camera and say, and thank you, this, this, you know what I mean? It's like this yeah. uh, a bad example, but uh, I've got Peloton on the mind. I've been using the, uh, I've been using Peloton. Their, their, their sales are through the roof and I'm, I'm using the outdoor app, right? I, I've been running again and you're listening to it and they've got coaches in there. If that were created by Gatorade or any sports, right? Like anyone that's endemic and, and they had that level of expertise and, you know, the product was that way. Like 
it would endear me to that product, not because they're advertising, like because they brought me something that adds value. And I feel like that's a really hard thing. And you, I think this is where you're going. Like that, that utility of the content that solves a problem, the way you attach yourself doesn't have to be overt and you can get even more credit by not being overt and doing it. And that's a hard thing, I think, for brand marketers to get their head around. I there there is I think you're right and I, I see I see both great and horrible exam, examples in all sectors right like I, I'm in I'm in the B2B sector and financial services with mm-hmm. being at Dow Jones but when I was at Amazon I was fully in CPG FMCG mm-hmm. and I saw great branded content there and I and, but I've also seen poor examples so there's this it it for your for for all the listeners like you know really be self aware and look for who you think is doing you a great job yeah. as a as a reader. Uh, of, of, of you of giving you utility and mm-hmm. then, then you kind of find great examples to, to latch onto. Awesome. Uh, all right. So now we flip to the personal side, uh, morning musts. I'm really curious on this one. I do this with every guest, share your quote, how you stay on top of industry quotes and how you stay on top of industry news End quote morning routine, email newsletters, subscriptions, social media followers, etc. Sure. So, so, you know, having been in a newsroom, I, I, you're going to laugh because it's such a small group. But it's it's uh, I I look for the summaries, and sometimes I, I get get to the articles if I have time. But it's really mm-hmm. like help me understand the day. So mm-hmm. WSJ's CMO Journal and CIO Journal newsletters are definitely a must have. Then I use WSJ's what news what what's news uh, briefing uh, on the app, mm-hmm. and I use Ad Exchanger. Um, then I go to, uh, and I've done this before I joined Dow Jones, I started getting into the heads of investors mm-hmm. because they drive a lot of decision-making in our space. So I read market watch and bearing to mm-hmm. see what's going on from that kind of perspective. Um, and those sources give me what I need for the day. Um, and then what I have found over the years is I don't have to hunt because of enough people in my network that I gather. And so I don't, I don't use social th- that often. It becomes kind of a distraction for me in some ways. But all the things I need to know find their way to me through my network. So I, I found that huh. cultivating folks in my in my space, in, in my domain, both in, inside the company and outside the company, the, the most important things find their way to me if they're not already in those uh, sources. Very cool. Uh, Guthrie Collin, Chief Analytics Officer of... Dow Jones, last question for you here. What are you reading for fun? Um, I'm rereading Stanislav Lem. He's this Polish uh, writer who wrote during uh, the communist regime in the 60s, 70s, and 80s uh, in Poland. He's absolutely brilliant. He's branded sci-fi because it's, the stories are kind of quite fantastical, but he, I would say he's more of like a Voltaire or a Borges or Camus. Um, he's so much philosophy built into those wow. stories that it's it's a great, it's a, it's a great way just to distract yourself. Um, and, and again, it's, it's, it's sci-fi because of the setting, but, but they're just like, it's like human condition stuff. And it's just, it's just, I've read them so many times. They're just so much more fun to read over and over again. Well, speaking of utility, this is like my poor man's uh, Goodreads app where I get to add to the book list each week because uh, <laughs> people like you, uh, Guthrie, you're awesome. I really enjoyed this conversation and, and kind of, going back and forth between that line of of data science and and content which is um you know to your point at a nascent stage can't thank you enough for your time thanks so much for being on the show well thanks for having me jay it's been a pleasure Uh, i really appreciate the time Uh, you have a great great rest of the day and stay safe thanks for listening to brand story inc 
We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.